Thank you, Kim. We're in the 10th chapter of Hebrews this morning, Hebrews chapter 10. We've reached a turning point in the book of Hebrews up until this point. Uh, the book has been focused on Jesus as the one who is exalted. He is exalted above the angels. You know, in the old time, God spoke through prophets. But now he's spoken to us through Jesus Christ. And this Jesus Christ is not just a servant of God like the angels. He's not just a servant of God like Moses. He's not even a servant of God like Melchizedek. No, he is the son of God. And so he's exalted above all these things. All of these beings and individuals that we look up to and that we admire, even more so we admire Christ because he is above them all. We look at the sacrificial system of the law and we look at how the high priest goes in to offer sacrifices. But Christ is exalted above them because they are a shadow. They are pointing. They are the foreshadowing. They are just the type. This the preview of coming attractions. But Jesus Christ is the reality that all of them point to. Jesus is exalted. But eventually you have to move out of the realm of theology in the mind and get to theology of the hands and feet. See, theology is not just the study of, it's the application of truth. Not only do I understand, but can I apply? A football team can have a great strategy, but if they don't actually run the plays, it doesn't help them. This morning, we're going to begin to look at how to run the plays on the gridiron of Christian living. And just like any good football team, we have a great coach who has given us a playbook. So this morning, I want us to turn our focus on the playbook of faith. Stand with me as we read from Hebrews 10. We'll cover verses 19 through 25 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. This is the word of God, and if you let it, it will change your life. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Pray with me. Father, this is your word. Bless its reading, bless its preaching, and bless its applying as we live it out. Help us to execute the playbook of faith. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I said this is the turning point. The turning point of Hebrews. The place that, that he takes the, the, all of the great truth that he has expounded for us and starts to show us how to live it out. You know, a playbook, you know what a playbook has, right? It has plays. Hence the name. Plays. Plays tell you what to do. Please tell you what your assignment is. Please tell you what everybody is going to do to make this a successful attempt. Maybe a play is designed for short yardage. Perhaps it's a run straight up the middle. And the, and the play is designed to get a few yards right in the middle of the field. The blockers are going to block a particular way to open up a hole. The running back is going to charge forward and keep his feet moving and not stop until somebody makes him stop. The quarterback is going to ensure that the handoff is clean and crisp so the running back can run with full speed straight ahead. The wide receivers are distractions. They're not doing anything but keeping all 11 defenders from getting to that ball carrier. Every play has a design, and every play's design is for a specific purpose. Now, in a normal football team, you build the playbook around the people playing. If you've got strong guys that aren't very fast, you play a beat-em-down kind of game, wear you out over time. Alabama used to be famous and still is to some extent for that truck and trailer offense. You get, a, you get a strong group of linemen who block and just wear you out over the course of the game and the running back just keeps running and they just push it down your throat. Now, if you've got a bunch of small guys who aren't very strong but who are fast, you can't run that kind of game. You've got to run a fun and gun. You've got to air that ball out. You've got to spread out the defense and wear them out by running them to death. Do you see what I'm saying? The personnel determine the way the playbook is designed. And over time, you get the right personnel to run the kind of playbook you want to run. That's not the way God has designed his playbook. If God had designed his playbook that way, it would mean that we would bear the burden of making the plays work. It would mean that they would be based on our strengths, our talents, our abilities, our resources, our knowledge. It would be based on us. And if it was based on us, then God help us because we are weak, we are poor, we are, we're destitute. What are we going to give God? He's got it all. So instead of basing it on us, this playbook of faith is based on someone who actually has all the power and all the glory and all the majesty and all the dominion and all the resources and all the talents and skills to begin with. He bases it on his son. In fact, before we even start to play with this playbook of faith, before we even learn the plays, there's a couple of prerequisites that we have, a couple of things that we need to do. Think of them as conditioning. You know conditioning. Those of you who played football, who played football in, in high school or 
Yeah. Y'all loved conditioning, right? That was your favorite time of year, wasn't it? What do you do during conditioning? <laughs> Run. Yeah, there's some other exercises in there too, but it's, it's pretty much running, right? Belly flops. <laughs> you might be lifting weights. No? No? No lifting weights? Not, not then. Now there's some weightlifting that goes on throughout the year. Man, you ever make that? I think, I want to say in my high school, I was in the field house and they had the 1,200 pound club up on the wall. And I thought, good night. Is that 1,200 pounds of donuts? I might can make that club. Not 1,200 pounds of weightlifting of anything. I don't know. I guess it was squats or something, but man, the boys on the 1,200-pound club, man, you don't mess with those guys. How do we condition ourselves for this playbook of faith? How do we condition ourselves to be ready to apply faith? Uh, there's two things the author mentions in this passage that are prerequisites that, that we need to be conditioned into before we can even start to run the plays. The first and he gives them both in since we have statements. So he makes it easy for us. The first thing he says is that we have confidence. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence. Confidence. You've seen it before. Someone who's unsure of themselves, they hunch over. They kind of talk a little low. And they're kind of trepidatious. They're, they don't really want to come close. They, they kind of cover their face like this. Thinking Matthew. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. He, he's unsure. There's no confidence. But we have confidence. How do we have confidence? How, how do we have confidence? I mean, I'm not good enough. I didn't do it. We have confidence. And what do we have confidence to do? I mean, confidence for what? Well, he tells us, he says, confidence to enter the holy places. How? By the blood of Jesus. Yes, it was not of good that I have done. It's the blood of Jesus that gives us confidence. How do we have confidence? By the blood of Jesus. His blood shed is what gives us a source of confidence. It allows us to stand tall and know that it's not based on my weak efforts. It's not based on my lack of resources. It's not based on anything that I can add to the picture. Thank God it's not based on my good looks. We'd be all in trouble. No, it's based on the blood of Christ. Confidence by his blood to do what? To enter into the holy places. Remember, he's just shown us there is a heavenly reality that Christ has gone into to offer the sacrifice on our behalf. In the earthly reality, there's a veil that separates that place from all the others. 
And as you get closer and closer, more and more people are excluded. In the heavenly reality, we can have confidence to enter the very presence of God because of what Christ has done. And how do we get there? How do we know where to go? How do we know the way into the holiest of places? Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. So we have confidence by the blood to enter by the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He provides not only the reason to be confident, he also gives us the way to go in which we can enter into God's presence. You need to be conditioned to have confidence in Jesus Christ. We base our confidence in what we know. We base our confidence in our competencies. We base our confidence in what we're able to achieve and accomplish. If Carrie asked me today to replace an engine in one of our cars, I know that is not the right job for me because I don't have any confidence in what I'm doing. If she asked me, though, to go get gas in a car, I can handle that. I know my limitations. But we need to have confidence in Christ, not in us. Not only do we need to be conditioned to have confidence in Christ, confidence by his blood to enter by his way, we also, we also have a great high priest. He's made this point over and over and over again. I don't even think I need to prove it. I'll just read to you verse 21. And since... We have a great high priest over the house of God. Not only do we have confidence to enter God's, God's very presence by the blood of Christ, marking the way that, or traveling the way that he has given to us, we also have him with the credentials to get us in. We are Jesus Christ plus one in heaven. And he has unlimited plus ones, by the way. His plus ones aren't limited to just us. No, there's plenty more. Maybe, maybe we should add a few to that number. What do you think? Certainly should be trying to. We have confidence and we have a great high priest. You need to be conditioned to trust your great high priest. I mean, after all, he is great. And he is high. And he is your priest. If you're not conditioned to trust him, you'll fall back on confidence in yourself. And that won't get you anywhere. We have confidence and we have a great high praise. Now we're starting to get conditioned. And yes, it's hard to trust in God. Just like it's hard to run that 80,000th lap that you've had to run today. Just like it's hard to to bench press those extra 15 pounds that they've added on. Just like it's hard to go another round of getting hit by that guy that's probably 75 or 100 pounds heavier than you. 
Just like the conditioning and the training are hard for those who would play on the gridiron, so our conditioning can be hard for us. But it's through that that God makes us strong enough and able to run the plays of the playbook of faith. Now, let's open up the playbook. And let's consider now what are the defining plays. I call these the three go-to plays. Every team has go-to plays. The thing that you know they're going to do and you know they're going to do well. Every team has them. Some teams, it's one type of play. Some, it's another. Some defenses are known for their blitzes. Others are known for being excellent at secondary coverage. Some offenses can run the ball over anybody. Some, you've got to watch deep because, man, they, they will get long passes on you and just turn a game in a, in a blink of an eye. Every team has their go-to plays. So do we. And the author here points to three go-to plays. Now, he said, since we have, and that was our conditions, those, are, those were our conditioning, those were the prerequisites, he gives us let us statements, three let us statements that introduce the plays. Let us is kind of interesting. Grammar nerd for just a second here. There's a way that you can make a command but you're not just telling someone else to do it. You're kind of saying, I want to do this, and I want you to join me. You've heard me say before, let us pray. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, I'm not saying I want us all to pray. I'm saying, I'm going to pray, and I want you to join me. In the same kind of way, when he says these let us, he's saying, I want to, I want to perform these plays. I want to, to try these plays out, and I want you to join me in them. What are they? What are our go-to plays? First, he says, let us enter God's presence. Verse 22, let us draw near. Now, he already told us we have a way to enter he already told us that we can have confidence to enter. He's already told us by whose credentials we enter. So let's enter. Imagine you live beside a road that is in terrible shape. The road in front of your house has more potholes. It has more problems. It washes out every time it rains. Looks like somebody had a daycare out in the road and they just, toddlers just destroyed everything. The road is in terrible shape. And so you call the city and you complain and you say, this road is horrible. It's causing flat tires all over the place. It's washing out every time it rains. It's impassable in some storms. You need to fix this road. And you complain about it. You go to the city council meeting and you complain about it. You call up the city and you complain about it. And you complain and you complain and you complain. And finally, they say, we got to get this guy off our case. And they finally say, we're going to fix the road. And you are so excited. You pull up a lawn chair and a glass of lemonade or sweet tea, whichever you like better. And you just watch them repairing the road. Hey, you missed a spot right there. Make sure, make sure it's really good there because that's where, it, like, that's where all the water comes out, right there. You are so excited to have that road fixed 
When it's done, you're calling your friends and family. You're taking pictures and putting them on Facebook. You are bragging to everybody else. Come look at the road in my house. Now, does anybody see a problem with this? How can I enjoy that road? How can I look at how beautifully it's done? How, how shiny the new curbs are? The trees that they planted alongside? How they navigated around that corner that's been messed up for so long and not actually drive on the road? For centuries, these people were looking for a Messiah, these Jews. And so it would make no sense whatsoever for them to beg God and beg God and beg God for a Messiah who would show the way to God and then not walk in the way. Just like it would make no sense for you to complain about a road and when it's finally fixed, you look at it and say, what a great road, and then you bypass it and drive some other way. How can you say that you have confidence to enter and not actually enter? That you have confidence by the blood of Christ to enter by the way that he's prepared and not walk the road, not travel the road into God's presence. Let us enter and not just stand by and look at it and admire how pretty it is. Let us go into God's presence and let us enjoy the fellowship with our creator that we were meant to have. Don't just stand there. Get to moving. Let's go. Let us enter. How? With a true heart, in full assurance of faith. That's not wishy-washy. That's not hope it works out. Cross your fingers. Knock on wood. Faith has evidence. We'll see some evidence next week, by the way. Hint, hint, wink, wink. With our hearts sprinkled clean. I love the fact that he doesn't say wash clean. When I take a shower, I don't need two drops of water. I need a lot more than that. So do you, I bet. They make some uh, shampoos that you only need a, a little bit of water to work. I don't use those shampoos. They make some wipes that I guess you can kind of wipe yourself down with when you can't really get a shower. You're out in the woods or something. I don't, I don't use those. When I take a shower, I need a lot more than a couple drops. That the blood of Jesus Christ is so potent, so powerful at removing sin that no matter how much sin you have, he's got plenty to clean you. With a true heart, not a deceitful heart, not a wandering heart, but a true heart in full assurance with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. You know, consciences can be evil. You got to train them. The Bible talks about consciences. It says that some are good and some are bad. Some are weak. Some are strong. Some are seared in sinfulness and some are completely clear of guilt. You got to train your conscience. And Jesus says, I'll, I'll train your conscience. Just like you got to train your body. You can have all the power in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, you're just going to get run over on the gridiron. You need to train it. Make it useful. Not only hearts sprinkled clean, but our bodies washed too. 
There's lots of passages that talk about this, but I want to draw your attention to two of them. One is in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And that's so good, he's got to stop, Selah. That means pause. We have a playbook of faith. And this playbook of faith teaches us to draw near. And we draw near because he's cleaned us. There's another practical example that the Bible gives that I think is, is worth noting. It's found in the book of Ephesians. Paul is talking about relationships. He's talking about how we should submit to one another. And he looks at the relationship between husband and wife, and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, that's a pretty tall order. That's setting a high bar. Some other people will set a low bar. Husbands, don't divorce your wives. Husbands, take care of your wives. Husbands, provide for your wives. Protect your wives. Those are all good things. But husbands, he says, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And how do we know he loves her? He gave himself for her. He surrendered, he sacrificed himself for his bride that he might, what? Sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Why? So he can make her presentable. That he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What a beautiful bride we will be on that day because Christ has cleansed us by his word. Sanctify them in the truth, he prays to the Father. Your word is truth. Now, we can enter God's presence because we've been made presentable. He's removed our sins, cleansed us. He's sanctifying us. And so now we're able to enter God's presence. So, so what are you waiting for? Go in. Run the play of drawing near to God. Others can claim that they can draw near to their God. Some others have a God they wouldn't want to draw near to. Only we really can run the play. The second play, second go-to play, we enter God's presence. Let us also possess our confession. We need to possess what we confess. Look in verse 23. Let us hold fast. There's two ideas in that word. One is to restrain something, to hold it back. The other is to adhere to something and not let it go. Which one is it? Yes, 
Here's what I mean. Sometimes we go through times in life and we start to waver. Now, sometimes it's okay for things to waver. It's okay for things to be blown around by the wind. Think about the flag we got out here. Can y'all imagine if that flag was made of steel? That wouldn't work. If it fly off the pole and hit somebody, that would not be good. No, we make the flag out of fabric because it's supposed to wave in the wind. That's how it looks so majestic sometimes. That's what it's meant to do. But we can't have a, a flag kind of a Christian faith. We need a solid faith. We need a faith that holds fast because sometimes things will happen that will make us want to let go of our faith. Release our confession. We talked back in Hebrews chapter 6 of this verse. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for, of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Our hope is to be the anchor that fixes us to the rock of ages so that we will not be moved in the storms of life. But sometimes we want to unchain from the anchor. And what good does it do if the anchor's sitting there but it's not attached to the boat? No, we got to stay attached to the anchor. We need to hold it and keep it from being lost. There's a lot of people out there with a lot of confessions and they hold fast to them, but they got the wrong confessions. We have the right one. There's also some times that we don't quite know how God is going to do it. We can't see it. We just have to trust him. And so sometimes it's not the danger that the anchor will slip away. Sometimes the danger is that our hands will get too sweaty and we'll let go. Sometimes the danger is that even though we're trying to and even though we're working with all our might, it still isn't enough to hold on. And we need God to wrap his arms around us and to hold us tight. That's why I think it's both meanings. Because sometimes we want to let go and other times we don't. And it's slipping away. And, and we, we don't want that to happen. And we need God to hold us. Sometimes it's constraining. Sometimes it's restraining. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You ever heard the expression, don't count your chickens before they hatch? My parents did that one time. One of them was getting a bonus check. They found out about it a couple weeks prior and well, there were a lot of needs around the house. We didn't have a lot of money, and so sometimes you just kind of had to make do with what you have until you can figure out something to fix it. And one of the things that was falling apart, because I can't imagine why it was falling apart. I was a, I was a boy. Me and my sister, well, we just, apparently we were just really rough on a couch. I don't know. Have y'all ever had kids that were rough on couches? You need a new couch. It's falling apart. And I remember, I remember the fabric of it too. And let's just say it wasn't my favorite kind of design on the fabric. It was like some kind of like floral thing that had every color known to man in it. And it was just, it was definitely a product of its time. Let's put it that way. Or a decade earlier than its time. Something like that, okay? 
So they're going to get a new couch. And they go to the furniture store and they look around and they find something and they put it on credit because they know in a couple weeks they're going to have the money, pay it off, everything's going to be good. Except they forgot about taxes. And the taxes took a bigger chunk than they were expecting. Bonus checks, they do that. They take more in taxes because, well, on your regular paycheck, they you can figure out easily how much you're going to owe. But on, on extra checks, sometimes... Sometimes you can't figure that out so easily, and so they tend to withhold more. Sure enough, they withheld more than my parents realized, and now there's not enough money to pay for that brand new couch. They counted their chickens before they hatched. We don't have to worry about that problem with Christ. He's faithful. Do you, we just read uh, Hebrews 6.19. Do you remember the context of Hebrews 6.19? Because in just a couple verses before, God is explaining what, how, how he wants to make sure that we know his promises are sure. So what does he say? He says, oh, it's not on there. Okay. He says, just to make sure you know, I'm going to give you my oath. Now, we trust the oath of some guy that we just met. We sign a contract and we trust he's going to uphold that because we know there's some kind of recourse if he doesn't, right? We just take them to court. Our lawyers will call them up and, and, and we'll get recourse for it. With God, sometimes we don't trust his promises. And it's God. He doesn't lie. Why don't we trust him? Is it because we don't have a lawyer good enough to beat him in court? <laughs> Why don't we trust God? He's faithful. So hold fast. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Sounds like a good Bible verse. Maybe, maybe, maybe that should be somewhere in the Bible, huh? Philippians 1.6, by the way, if you're, if you're wondering. This play is one that a lot of people can run, but they're running with the wrong confession, and so this play doesn't work for any other team. But in the playbook of faith, it works great because we got the right confession. There's another play, though, that is totally foreign to every other team. Only Christianity has this play. And if we'll do it right, there's no defense against it. Let us... Enter God's presence. Let us possess our confession. Let us motivate one another. Now, I don't mean just motivate like give them a good pet talk. I don't mean just motivate as in give them some inspirational tips so that, so that they now want to go out and do things. No, I, I, I mean motivate on a totally different level. In fact, if you don't want to put the word motivate on your outline, you can change that word if you like. You can just put the word love. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. I actually like the way the New King James puts this better. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. This isn't passive. This isn't just thinking, mulling it over in your head. 
This is grabbing a hold of the object and not letting it go from your mind until you have figured out how can I help each and every Christian that I know to love and to do good works? How can I be devoted to them in such a way that they perform at a higher level? The great players are great players not because they make great plays, but because everybody around them is better when they're on the field. The number one scorer in hockey history is named Wayne Gretzky. The way they count scores is they count goals. That's when you score. And they count assists, which is when the, the, the last two people to handle the puck before the goal scorer get an assist. And would you believe that it's about two to one that Wayne Gretzky has more assists than goals? He has given the puck to someone else to score twice as much as he scored. That ought to be how we play this game. You've seen, you've seen the, oh, the kick, the, the, um, not, not the Auburn kick, the kickoff from the Stanford Cal game, the return. Nobody goes down with the ball. They throw it to someone else who throws it to someone else who throws it to someone else. And there's a guy you think is tackled and everybody else thinks is tackled and the band thinks he's tackled, but he's got, he threw the ball before he got tackled and someone else carries it into the end zone and runs over a tuba player. It's a phenomenal play, but the only way that play happens is because nobody goes down with the ball. In the same kind of way, we cannot go down with the ball. We need to look for someone else to pass the ball to, someone else to encourage, someone else to build up, someone else to make sure they're going forward. They're making the play happen. If I am greedy with the ball and I go down with it, the play is over. Time is expired. But if I pass it on to the next generation, then the play goes on and on and on until we're in the end zone. And God has accomplished what he's trying to do in this world. And thank God we had people that didn't go down with the ball before us, but who threw the ball to us. Now we need to make sure we have the next generation to pass the ball to. Let us love one another so much so that we are desperate for them to love and to do good works. But to do that, we got to be together. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Y'all are already here. But it's worth saying. We've got to continue together. And that doesn't just mean being here. That means living life together. It's one of my... One of my struggles, not because I don't love y'all, but because things just get really busy. And it's easy to get too busy and to put aside things that are more important. Let me say from my heart, I'm sorry. I've neglected for too long. No, we don't need to neglect to meet together, especially as the day is drawing near. Church, hear my heart. No other team has this play. In every other team, if you are dragging the team down, they will get rid of you. They will ostracize you. They will isolate you. They will call you names. 
In every other team, if you aren't with the program, you are of no value to them. But here in the Christian faith, that's not the way it works. Because God loves you even when you fail. We ought to love one another even when we fail. No matter how bad, no matter how far we fall, no matter how difficult life gets, no matter how busy we are, we ought to make it an absolute essential aspect of our life. That we love one another and motivate one another to do the work God has called us to do. Y'all, the world needs us to get this one right. Maybe, maybe God's convicted you that you haven't been working out of the playbook of faith, you've been running another playbook. Maybe perhaps you've had no faith to begin with. Maybe you've had faith in the wrong thing. Maybe, maybe you've had faith in God, but things have just been tough and you've slipped, you've messed up. Can, can I encourage you this morning? We got a really good coach. And he doesn't just abandon players because they're weak. In fact, his strength is made perfect in weakness. Would you put faith in our coach? Would you stop making the excuses? Enter his presence. Hold fast to our confession. And love one another. Father, you've given us an amazing playbook, and yeah, it's hard to learn. There's complicated schemes in there that, that, that are difficult, and, and they are not natural for us, and we're not strong in these areas. We, we, we're weak. We're, we are, to put it the way Jehoshaphat put it, we are powerless, and we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Father, help us play out. Help us live out this playbook of faith that you've given us. Do your will in this time. Speak, Lord. We, your servants, are listening. We'll follow you, coach. To the ends of the earth, we'll follow. Make it clear what you want us to do. Give us the strength to do it. In Christ's name, amen.